Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me, and we are continuing our uh, series from last week when we broke down the offense preview, review, or review preview, however you want to phrase it. It's the offseason. We're bridging the gap between the 2019 season and the 2020 season, looking at five position groups on each side of the ball, and we're looking at grades, what worked, what didn't work, is the arrow pointing up or down, and then the big offseason question heading into spring ball and then the summer. So we can just jump into it. We'll start with defensive line. A lot of new faces on the defensive line. Obviously, they lost Rashawn Gary, and they lost... Chase Winovich, they lost Brian Monet and Lawrence Marshall and Aubrey Solomon. Uh, we entered the the season kind of looking at this group as maybe the one, particularly on the inside. I think I think the the hype for Aiden Hutchinson and Quiddy Pay um, proved itself, or it it, it, val- it was validated. But I, I think the defensive interior. I think we both said actually that I think we had a question in August that was. Michigan will not win the Big Ten title because, and I think we both said defensive interior. I don't think the question ended up being that simple. I think there were multiple reasons, but hard not to view defensive interior. So, Steve, I'll let you start. Letter grade for the unit. What worked and then what didn't work in your mind? Uh, Well, B minus, I guess. This is overall end and tackle together. Probably a B minus. I do think... While Pay and Hutchinson both were really effective, Uche, I mean, we're considered we're putting Uche. I, 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 sorry, I consider him a more of a defensive end than a linebacker. I don't, I don't care what they list him as. I mean, he's used eighty percent of the time to rush the quarterback. Uh, although the, part of my grade is criticism that they didn't use him enough, as we're now seeing him blow up in this in the, uh, I don't know, if it's the Shrine or the Senior, whatever bowl game he's prepping for it for the NFL draft. He was the highest graded player, you know, and did not play like full-time downs this season somehow. Uh, B, B minus though. You know, I thought Carlo Kemp actually turned out to be a very solid player on the interior. You know, Michael Dwumfora struggled to stay healthy again this season. Donovan Jeter, I think it's safe to say a disappointment based on what we've been hearing about him. Mm-hmm. In the spring and even a little bit in the fall, I don't. I don't think we heard as much about him in the in, during fall camp as we did in spring ball. But Steve, real know, quick, I, do you think the hype was tied to the fact that Dwumfor was kind of in and out of practices? Uh, not necessarily. Okay, Here's like maybe thing. a motivational tactic. Uh, possible, but you know, because of course, there's always that subset of people I know on our message board who like to, I don't know, like. Uh, hem and haw about when we're wrong about a guy who was hyped up during spring ball that didn't pan out when when really the hit rate on guys that the coaching staff like hypes up continuously during especially spring ball is very very high I know we talked about that a little bit last week so I, I don't necessarily think so I think they probably saw some good things out of him just didn't translate onto the football field you know uh, so I don't know B minus you know, I think next year, which we'll get into a little bit, obviously, I think I think arrows definitely be pointing up up front, but B minus. And again, again, that was sort of relative. You know, I don't I don't think this was a unit that was ever going to get an A, just because of right. yeah, because of what they lost, and again, that just weak interior, you know, overall. So B minus. Yeah, I think mm, I'm tempted to give out maybe the only C plus that I would give to this team, to, to the defensive line. For the sake of saying things slightly different, I'll I'll uh, go with that. It's not, not, it's not necessarily on the players. It, you know, you put a decent amount of it on the coaches. The Ben Mason experience, experiment, clearly just a dud. Um, not, that. not that Ben Mason's a dud, but, like, he should not have been. I don't – it sounded like – he kind of made it sound like the coaches brought it up, and he was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. But um, I don't know. I mean, I remember hearing about spring practice, about how people were saying he just looks way too small there. And you kind of wonder, you're like, well, but Ben Mason does play above his size. But then you just saw it against all the Big Ten teams, and it just really wasn't working. So add that to the to the mix. I think you're right between Dwemfor, um, 
Donovan Jeter, and he was only a true freshman, so I'm not going I'm not going to to pry here. But Mozzie Smith was another guy who got a lot of spring buzz, where it just it it wasn't going to happen this year. Certainly could happen down the road. So I, I'm going to go ahead and say C plus. What worked with Salt and Pepper, I think, um, Aiden Hutchinson and Quiddy Pay. I believe they both had double digit tackles for loss. Can't can't really knock that uh, for first year starters. You know, I think I think there will be some more pressure on them next year to be sort of stars. But I think um I think they did a pretty nice job. What didn't work was everybody well and Mike Dana. Let's let's you know the, the, yeah, that, that uns- was a, the unsung hero does right. not get a mention. Yeah, that's ir- ironic, huh? No, I agree. He was great. No, I th- I think he was a I mean, you didn't know what you were gonna get. I know his numbers were down, but they were always gonna be down from what they were at Central Michigan. I think he I think he was exactly what they needed for as far as a grad transfer defensive end. I think they didn't necessarily need a starter. They probably weren't realistically going to get a starter because I think anyone could look at the depth chart and say, well, I'd rather go start somewhere else. And so he was like the perfect number three. And you, I think really, if, if, if you can use 2020 hindsight, I think they, if they could have, I think they should have pursued someone on the inside a little bit more because if they could have had a Mike Dana for defensive tackle, I think they would have, I think, I don't know if they actually win any more games. That's the weird thing is like, I don't think I can't, I can't really sit behind any of these games being solely on the defensive line, but at the same time, I think the group could have been much better. I mean, we were looking over the stats of the 2016 defensive line and, um, I mean, this this year's group, they had 32.5 tackles for loss combined, every defensive line player, and they had 16.5 sacks. I mean, Chase Young, didn't he have 16 or 17 sacks on his own? Yep. That was and, the other thing about the guys on the edge. You know, it seemed like another year, kind of like what, what we always would see happen with Gary, where they were just half a second too short, half a second short mm-hmm. on how many. Granted, that still ter- that still translate, it's, translates into a hurry, but they weren't actually getting to the quarterback as much as they normally did. And what you'd see, I don't know if you you know you kind of recall, but how many times did Michigan get burned on a pass where the, the defensive line was just a split second? You know, I know Cone did it a couple times for Wisconsin, Clifford for Penn State, and then Mac Jones in Alabama. Michigan actually de- de- got a little decent amount of pressure there at points, but he was just seeming to get the ball out just before they got there and right. was you know was making them pay so so to me like the defensive line in 2016 that's like an A caliber deal where you have 60 sacks you ha- or I'm sorry sorry 60 tackles for loss 35 sacks it's just like an absolute i mean they get they I think they had 7 sacks against Ohio State you know at the highest level that defensive line was producing this this defensive line i i do i do think and we can switch to maybe to maybe this this the, the preview part I do think the arrow's pointing up. I mean, Carlo Kemp is is coming back. Hutchinson's coming back. I mean, really everyone but Dwumfor, uh and Dana. Yeah, it's everyone else is coming back. And and so to me, I think the arrow's pointing up. It's not a straight up, although I did think one one area where on the inside, I'm I'm kind of ripping the tackles if they're a bunch of nobodies. I think Carlo Kemp made a lot of improvement this season. I think he, I think he improved a lot. I mean, his tackle numbers merit that, and and I think he was, you know, if I when we didn't know if he was getting a fifth year, we were kind of like, oh, is he having like one of those senior surges, and and so now for Michigan to have him back, it's kind of like, well, okay, keep that going. I mean, he had he had a ton of tackles as a as a defensive tackle this season, and that's not the only way to measure the success of a, of a DT, but at the same time, it's it's not a bad way to measure. He finished the season with 40 tackles, which is pretty good for a guy on the inside. Four and a half tackles for loss and two sacks. So so you probably want to see a little bit more in the backfield. I mean, if he has 40 tackles and four, four and a half tackles for loss, uh, that's not quite you know star potential. That's kind of like a sturdy, you know, consistent, reliable guy, whereas maybe you want some star... But the big offseason question for me, actually, as weird as it is, because it, I, I'm talking like the defensive tackles are the big one. I mean, 
We've heard Chris Chris Hinton. He's getting a lot of Aiden Hutchinson-esque praise, where it's kind of like Michigan isn't even like, oh, we hope he's going to be good. Like they're like, no, he's he's pretty good. He's he's on the same track that all these defensive linemen are on. But to me, I think the big question is, what about these young project recruits? What happens with a Julius Welshoff? What happens with a David Ajaba? What happens with a Taylor Upshaw, all guys who uh, have very interesting backgrounds. I hope, I, I hope, as a writer, I hope that they do well so that I can tell their stories. Because I mean, you know, they're not like the typical, all genetically gifted, always been good at football, super polished. I mean, they, you know, Upshaw has a lot of NFL genes, but Ajabo, I mean, he's, you know, he's got BBC doing a story on him measuring his weight in stones, and he. You know, Julius Welshoff uh, came, maybe he didn't come out of nowhere, but from the outside, he, all of a sudden, he's like going straight from Germany to, and signing in Ann Arbor, and it's like, I don't know, interesting backgrounds, interesting, really NFL-caliber frames. And so I'm curious, do they become maybe those pass-rushing specialists? Because Hutchinson and Pay, I mean, they're both over 260. They're more NFL defensive end-looking. Uh, kind of like what Rashawn Gary was more than what Chase Winovich was, where uh, they're not quite as slight, and so they're not necessarily going to, you know, have that. They they have good bursts off the line. We're not not this is not a dig, but they don't quite have the they're not the Chase Young formula. They're a little bit bigger, and so I think Michigan could use a couple 245 pound flyer types for their NASCAR packages and things like that. So I'm curious. I mean, it, this is this will be the third year for Welshoff and Upshaw, and the second year for Ajabo. Um, what can they get out of them? You know, there, there's a lot of talk about all oh, their project recruits. Well, that's fair, and it's certainly fair on the D line. But let's. I'm curious to see. I think that will that will dictate next year's grade by quite a bit. Is do they have what do they have as that extra oomph when they really need a sack or they really need to get to the quarterback? Because as you said, they were close a lot this year. So how do they close the gap? I think part of it is getting some of these uh, NASCAR package type defensive ends up to that, uh, you know, ready for game action. Third, if you're if you're a third year guy, if you're a project recruit and you're not ready by your third year, you know, I don't know at what you know what I mean. Like the staff, how patient can you be? Not blaming the kids, mm-hmm. but just saying like you know it could be recruiting. You know, could become a recruiting question, could become a coaching question, but you know, three years in your weight program, learning the defensive scheme, uh, guys like that should be ready. You know, and and it's it appears that Upshaw is a guy that might be ready. I think he got some some PT, you know, in some in some decent situations last year. I don't know if we've even seen Welshoff on the field. If we have bar- we barely seen him on the field. Uh, Ojaba won scout team player of the year. So, you know, I think there's something there, but yeah, I agree. I mean, those are the kind of, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, these are what you recruit these guys for, you know, and again, yeah, there weren't going to be guys who were going to come in and make an immediate impact, but if they're not going to make an immediate impact, they should be ready by talking about, uh, Upshaw, Welshoff specifically should be ready by year three. You know, uh, if they're not, that's an indictment on, I don't know, the evaluation, you know, it's got to be at some point. Not saying they can't ever figure it out if they don't figure it out this year, but you at least want to start to see something. You know, because we right. saw, you know, I think the rotation a little bit lighter than it was in years past uh, on the edge and up front in general. You know, they need some of these guys to to become players and, you know, make some plays and, and, and do some stuff. So Arrow's yep. up, though. So Arrow is up for me. We'll see what they do in the transfer portal uh, in the middle. Uh, but on the edge, I, th- I think it's up. You know, don't sleep on Luigi Villain either, who actually made a few, like, made some plays uh, later in the year when he got the opportunity. You know, I think his should be, he should be viewed, I wouldn't say exactly as, like, a first or second year guy necessarily, but, I mean, at the same time, he really hasn't ever had a chance to be healthy for more than three or four months you know, since he's been there. So with a full season of experience under his belt, I wouldn't fully write him off as a guy who could contribute next year either. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think... I think it was something. I think you did see toward the end of the season, and and I know you're a big believer in this too. Is when guys finish a season strong, that means that they something clicked with them, and so it's not it's not easy to just bottle it for nine months and then and then come back right. and run it again a season later. But um, when it's someone who was kind of behind the eight ball, or maybe a better phrase is they face an uphill battle to playing time early on in the season, and then they finish on this really strong note, like a Giles Jackson. I think is another player like that that we talked about last week. Anyway, on to linebackers. I I think I think this well, I part of it is I include Uche as a linebacker. Michigan wants to list him as one. That's what I'll call him. Uh, you know, did feel like he was in coverage a bit more this season. Did feel like he was doing a little bit more linebacker type roles this year. So I'm comfortable with him calling him a linebacker. I am tempted. I mean, I kind of want to give this. I'll I'll stick with a B plus, but I don't have too many knocks against this group. I I think I mean, really across the the starters, I should say. I mean, pretty impressive. Josh Ross was good when he was healthy. Cam McGrone comes in and looks better. Jordan Glasgow, I think, proved everybody wrong this season. I mean, he had eighty nine tackles. I mean, he ended up, you could argue he was the most productive Glasgow. Uh, amazingly. I don't I don't know if anyone would put him NFL-wise in the Ryan and, and Graham category, but he had 89 tackles, seven tackles for loss, and five sacks uh, on top of a fumble recovery. And, um, you know, Kalik Hudson made the triple-digit tackle mark. Didn't have a ton of havoc points, so tackles for loss and sacks and pass breakups. Not a ton. But felt like he was more reliable this season than he was as a junior. And then, so yeah, between those three, Uche and then Ross, I mean, I I give it B plus, but I you could if you wanted to talk me into an A minus, I don't think it would take too much. Just because I don't I don't think there were too many times where I felt like they were the issue that was ailing Michigan. Uh you know, you could nitpick about Glasgow getting crossed up a couple times, and you can nitpick about Kaleek Hudson just not really quite showing that same burst he had as a sophomore. You know, you could say McGrone, they didn't, you know, he wasn't quite as good in the back half of the season as he was in the first half. Uche, I don't think there's a nitpick. Maybe, maybe that he was so close to like six more sacks, but can't really, I don't know how much of that is really a fair critique. I, I'll give it a B plus. I think what worked is just about everything. Um, what didn't work, you can't have Josh Uche running 40 yards downfield against Penn State receivers. I think that's a... Yeah, I, th- I still think they're looking for some, some better pass coverage at the linebacker position. Uh, but most of it worked. I mean, they, they pretty much hit across the board. You can see why Campanelli was coveted by Michigan initially the way that he was and and I think Don Brown moving Jordan Glasgow inside that was a I I I know I questioned the move in the offseason I, I was proven wrong that 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 worked out quite well um maybe some run stopping you know with with JK Dobbins and Taylor being able to run as wild as they did I don't know mostly good so I'll give it a B plus Steve your thoughts uh, I'm going to say B. <clears throat> I just keep going back to the Wisconsin game. You know, uh, at, with Hudson, I just think never really – he did put up – like he had some good static, like statistical numbers, uh, but not – I just, you know, I never really felt like he re- regained that form, like you mentioned, kind of uh, briefly mentioned there. McGrone became – I think was a guy that – it. The flash, it became less flashes and more consistency, but he was definitely a guy early on that was being picked on defensively by opposing offenses. He was still making plays because he's that athletic, but I think, and again, that's not not even close to a knock on him because I think he's got like all American, you know, all Big Ten for sure, if not more potential next season. But for a first year guy kind of coming in, I think. Teams kind of exposed him a little bit, made him make some decisions that weren't always the, the right ones. Uh, Glasgow, 
don't really have anything negative to say uh, about him. I thought he was, like you said, really kind of one of the more pleasant surprises for Michigan this season, I would say. Ross, they were able, yeah, uh, very fortunate, you know, to be able to redshirt him. I was going to say, you could count that as a win for the group, too. Big, big time. Uh, so, I don't know. And, you know, you know I, I worry way more about Uche as a pass rusher than a linebacker. I agree, the... But I'm not. I would not knock them for not being as good in coverage because I just still think there's too much pressure on some of these guys to play one-on-one coverage when it's that far is from fair. Their strong yeah. suit, you know. So like do, do you know? Being, do do like Clemson? I, it's easy I don't to just know. point at the good they, teams. Do does this happen to other teams or is this a Michigan? I know they play a lot of man and they do a lot of blitzing, but it's I don't know. I feel like I don't hear the same. I can't believe this linebacker is stuck in single coverage problems from other teams. Maybe, maybe I'm just not listening. I don't know. Do you have any sense for that? Not a well, not so. What I noticed, like so, for instance, I, I remember watching Penn State, Ohio State. I remember Fryermuth kind of beating Tough Borland consistently. Now, granted, Fryermuth one of the best tight ends in the country, but it was more like the type like you wouldn't have seen Tough Borland on. You know, like Jahan Dotson, or and with Michigan, I feel like they get put in those situations. They put, you know, schematically or whatever. Are it just feel again? I, I couldn't say for sure. We don't watch every other game by every other team, but you know the whole Metellus on Hamler, you know, stuff. I just don't feel right. like you know that that other teams are putting themselves well because you know if. If you're Ohio State, you had Baron Browning on KJ Hamler. I assume Penn State is probably going to score a touch. You know what I mean? Like they're going to find exactly. a way. Like, he's, yeah. he's going to get the ball, and make a play, and you're not seeing uh, other teams. You know, is other that teams just giving up big not plays, playing zone? I, I I'd be curious. They, well, we know they mixed. We know they mixed in zone more this season than they ever right. have under Don Brown, right? But they I didn't just, do it every. I mean, Penn State only needed four plays to to crush it, Michigan. Exactly. So. so I, you know, I don't know. But that was, you know, that's something where it's like it's hard because I don't want to grade them harshly because, again, I just feel like one of the issues with linebackers that we talked about at safety too is like I feel like the personnel has not always endeared itself to, you know, it's like we said before, you know, Penn State I think is the perfect example of where there there is totally open room for criticism schematically in that it puts – an immense amount of pressure for Michigan to play at a high level on every play. Because as we said, they Penn State ended up with like, what, 170 yards or something on four plays. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the game had like less than that. Yeah. And they lost, you know? Yep. And it's like that puts, when you're giving up that many big plays, but then you're like dominating the every other play of the game. To me, it says you're putting that there's way too much pressure being put on players to I don't know, play a plus ball on every single snap, you know, and then then Mm -hmm. at the college level, I don't, you're not, not necessarily going to get that. Well, you're not going to get that. doesn't really, I don't know if there's a team in the country, uh, defensively, you know, that can, that can say that every, every play. So I think there's, I think some defenses, some units are more designed to combat, the big play and then just bank on, you know, more of the bend don't break style with Michigan. It didn't ever feel this year, like a bend don't or don't break. It either felt like stiff as a board or completely broken, hmm. Yeah, you know? And so linebackers B, I just, you know, Hudson is just inconsistent a little bit to me. And, uh, maybe that's a little, maybe it's a little bit harsh. Cause again, yeah, McGrone, I think got it going. Uh, Glasgow was a bright spot. Ross when he's healthy. So, yep. Arrow, okay. arrow pointing up. Arrow's pointing up for you. I was just gonna say, I think I have a hard time pointing it up when they're losing three of the four starters uh, between Uche, who we just again, you're counting him as a defensive end, so our our arrows are gonna vary a little bit. But I me, mean, he's, I I think he was very valuable. I mean, I can't remember. I didn't do in depth film studies. You know, there are other sites for that. But I remember I would rewatch every game, and Uche would come away looking like one of the 
three or four best players just about every time. And so he's missing Hudson. Say what you will, but someone else is going to have to do what he did. And and then, you know, Glasgow probably can be... Re- Here I go. I, I don't mean to do the cliches, but he was a walk-on. And in theory, Michigan is recruiting well enough to replace walk-ons. And that's not a... Uh, I don't mean that as a slight to Jordan Glasgow, who I think I think did a lot. I think he surprised everybody this year. I don't think I don't think anyone is walking away like Glasgow underachieved. No, he he overachieved, and so but still, that's three starters they have to replace. Uh, I know Ross kind of cuts that problem in a third because I think he could he could probably do what Glasgow did on the inside. But to me, the big question, the big offseason question for me is. Um, What's this Michael Barrett fellow look like? Yep. Because he's currently Josh Uche and Kalik Hudson's replacement, and both of them talked at length about about him. And so it's kind of like, huh? Okay. I mean, you know, not, not, I'm not skeptical because I think Anthony Solomon can help alleviate some of that too. I know Hudson's talked about him a decent amount, but but at the same time, it's kind of like, uh, you know, if he's not a hit or if he struggles – Michigan enters another season where they don't feel great about all of their linebacker starters. And and they didn't this year, but in previous years they have. So um, that to me, I don't try to avoid something as simple as does this guy look good? But it kind, it, I think it does boil down to whether this is an A group or a B group or or whatever next season. I think a lot of it does boil down to what kind of player Mike Barrett is. If he's a star, Michigan probably picks up where they left off defensively. If not, well, then you might, I wonder what kind of schematic changes you make. Um, Another question is I'm very curious about what Gene Mary does because he, on the surface, is more qualified on paper than Campanelli was. I'm not saying one coach is better than the other because I really haven't seen either in action, but... Does, is he able to add some expertise from his time as a defensive coordinator from his you know his maybe longer career I I know I've heard he's a very high energy guy you know what does does he connect with player a or player B differently I guess we'll see but but to me a lot of it boils down to Mike Barrett I had nothing to add there because that I think that is the only not the only, but it's by far the most legitimate question there. And I agree mm-hmm. on Solomon too as being that other guy. You know, any of the I freshmen? Mean, I know you covered covered the recruits. Any of the freshmen stand out as potential, or or maybe the the other young players stand out as potential guys who will uh, see more action. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, not off the top of my head. Charles Thomas is a guy I know that they liked. But we didn't see much of him mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason. And then, you know, because Solomon's a guy that played in every game on special teams. That's always the best indicator Yeah, that the staff really likes somebody. Khalid Hudson so, did that. Josh Ross did that. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a clear group, you know. But, yeah, the, obviously Barrett, the big question, though, for sure. And, okay. again, geez, we've heard a lot of good things about him. So we'll see if it comes to fruition or not. Chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire now streaming on Paramount Plus. On to cornerback, I give the group an A-. minus. There were imperfections. Most of them were against players who will probably be top 50 NFL draft picks. So, I mean, that's to me, that's a, well, you weren't an All-American, but you were probably both Ambry Thomas and LaVert Hill were. I don't know if Ambry Thomas made an All-Big Ten team, but I know he made the All-Big Ten PFF midseason team, so at least half the season he was pretty good. I know he got... He faded a little bit, but Lavert Hill, first team All Big Ten. Um, I don't know 
cornerbacks are hard because there's not like a great stat. I mean, we could we could point to pass breakups, we could point to interceptions. Ultimately, uh, quick stump. I, I'd love to I'd love to see more coverage, you know, public widespread coverage stats so that I can contextualize what these guys looked like. But they combined for six interceptions and twelve pass breakups and three fumble recoveries. Uh, those those two. So. Um, what didn't work? I mean, obviously, defending top flight receivers. <laughs> defending Jerry Judy. Yeah, yeah, it's like, like, and, and, and Devontae Smith and Henry yeah. Ruggs. I mean, and and I, I, we're not saying, oh, you, you, there's just no answer. Obviously, some teams are going to have answers, and and I do think, you know, Lavert Hill and Ambry Thomas had answers, and I think Ohio, against Ohio State's cor- uh, receivers as well. You're just net, you're not going to bat a thousand. So I guess the next step would be improving it from, let's say they batted 800 against the top shelf guys. How do you get to 900? It's speed, technique, maybe a little bit of schematics, uh, experience. I know Vincent Gray was kind of off and on if we're talking about what didn't work, but ultimately, I, you know, we'll, a lot of the receiver issues that Michigan had were schematic or I'd say we're on the linebackers and safeties so I didn't feel like the cornerbacks were a problem that much uh, certainly never felt like a weakness for Michigan I know there were some games where it felt like more of a strength than others but I give the group an a minus pretty pretty good no, another good year for Mike Zordich's group yeah I'd agree I feel like you said the guys the who they struggled against you know Judy top 10 pick Right, mm-hmm. uh, Smith and I don't know what Smith came back, didn't he? For for some reason, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, I don't know about rugs, but three pros there. Ohio State, you know, I still that was really about Ohio State running the ball and then being able to play action them to death uh, in that game. You know, it puts the corners in a tough position. So I think, but it's more one of those deals where it's like when Michigan had to rely on their cornerback play. I think they stepped up in most instances. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I look at Wisconsin. I was going to say, Cephas ended up being like an 1,100-yard receiver this yep. year with like no drops. And I'll pull yeah. up the box score before I sound like a buffoon, but I don't I don't remember him being a major problem. For no, the was, that was Jonathan Taylor. You know, that was a Taylor. That was Michigan's really one of the only times I think I've seen Michigan's run defense just, well, in Ohio State, but just get throttled like that. Uh, so, no, I, I again, like you said, I think Zordich has really developed – a long, consistent track record of uh, Ambry Thomas was third team All Big Ten from the coaches, by the way. So, you know, two more All Big Ten cornerbacks. He'll be back this year. I thought Vince Gray kind of encompassed Michigan in against Alabama. Had a really, really good first half, and I think struggled a little bit in the second mm-hmm. half. You know, so I think there's something to build off of there. We've talked at length about DJ Turner, and Zornich right. appears to be really excited about him. Uh, we'll see on Jamon Green as a guy, you know, this, much like Welsh off, uh, Upshaw as part of that 18 class as a guy, this is his third year. It's kind of time to find out what we have, mm-hmm. you know, if you're Zordich, like what we have in, in this guy. And then, you know, at, as far as their incoming guys, I would not write off Andre Selden as a nickel. Okay potential nickel uh coverage guy for sure i think intentional omission of jalen perry there you think he still needs another year or what's yeah without like you know his as more of an outside guy you know i think it, it definitely i'm going not solely based off of the coach's direct quotes but also just what we've heard is all the never not saying you know it's like the old adage i always say is like when we report like if we hear something good about four players it doesn't mean that there's nothing good about the other players that we didn't like hear about but the consider the buzz was definitely more consistently with turner yeah and so he's with, probably sitting fifth perry is pro- i would you know that's a an s uh uh estimated guess you know a guesstimation or however you want to call it but uh you know with two guys on the outside i would suspect gray and thomas would be the favorites and then turner again like i think is probably sitting third then yeah you got green probably perry you know, because again, I think Selden at least will start off as as a potential nickel 
type defensive back. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's some pieces there. I think actually think that their nickel coverage could be improved next year with Selden. I mean, I, I just think he's that good as a strictly as a coverage guy. Okay. Uh, um, no, I really do. I think he's the real deal. Like there was, of course, there was a big debate about his ranking yesterday on 24-7. Our rankings are based off of like NFL potential and guys of his size, I think, are few and far between in the NFL. But... That means how, nothing. How tall is he? What's his What's his size? Uh, I bet he's five eight. Five, oh, okay, eight, five, okay. Nine. That so is very, that is a little tough because I was going to yeah, say the, the cornerbacks they are getting smaller. Like I don't right. think I don't think Lavert Hill and David Long's size is actually hurting them at all. Even though five years ago they might have been seen as undersized. Right. But but you're right. So five eight's a little little. It lower. is under. It is pretty under. It is. And again, I mean, he's he's gritting his teeth as he listens. I'm sure he's not listening, but if he heard it, he'd be, you know, he's, he's no, he's, he loves that stuff, but you know, that's our ratings are off of NFL potential. Doesn't mean Jack as far as what he could do at Michigan. And so right. I think, I think as it pertains to Michigan, I think he's got the chance to be an instant impact guy. So I think okay. he's a guy, he, especially he's enrolled early, which always helps. And I just think there's a niche there that he fits perfectly that Michigan can throw him right in there. Uh, well, I think he when he did an interview, I don't know if he talked with Sam or Bryce, he talked to and mentioned that Don Brown had told him, you know, if, if he had been on the roster, he's the guy he would have had out on uh, Hamler and those types of plays, which is exactly Over how I view it. Dax Hill? I think Metellus. I, I, I don't know. It's what he said they to tried him. To put, they tried whatever. to put the right guys on. Whatever. But... It's, what he, it's what he said to him. I, it, it, I yeah. think that's just an illustration of how they'd like to utilize him and, and what fashion gotcha. they would use him. So, Oh, that's um, a good spot for a freshman to be in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Okay. So yeah. for me, I think it's hard not to say the arrow's pointing down just because you are losing a centerpiece in Lavert Hill. Um, Ambry Thomas and Vincent Gray, I think, can be good. You could probably... If you were looking at it from a uh, projecting component, you could say the arrow's pointing straight. I don't know if you could make the argument for the arrow pointing up, uh, but to me it's it's down. Big off-season question. I'm trying not to say the same sort of things. Do the project recruits pan out? Does this uh, one starter or future starter take the next step. So I'll just make it broad. I talked about it before. Is there an extra gear against elite receivers? Is there something they can do, be it schematically uh, or in training to better equip themselves against maybe not the Jerry Judy's, but maybe like the Ohio state guys, maybe the, um, you know, maybe like, I don't know. Hamler didn't go out on the outside very much, but I got to imagine between, you know, I think they said Michigan's, has the eighth toughest schedule in the country next year. You know, a guy like Minnesota's Rashad Bateman. Do they have an answer? Is there an extra gear that that locks them down? Uh, and this is kind of once again, you know, can Zordich do it again? Maybe that's another offseason question because he he seems seems like every starter he's had has been drafted and at least third team All Big Ten, if not higher. Can he do it with two more guys? And so, um. I don't know. Anything else to add there? Uh, not really. I mean, my big question would just be, you know, what do they have in DJ Turner? It's like, like you said, we've talked, we talked about this a few times, but you know, have, it's hard to remember Zordich being as effusive in his praise for a guy that he's a young guy that he's had as he was for Turner this year. So yeah, gray really- gray was similar, but yeah. yeah, someone that just like just sees. I it's almost like they just see eye to eye in a different way. Yep, they're so. like the drunk people at the party where they're like gesturing at each other, like you and I were just like this. Yeah, that's a um, yeah, that's a quite an analogy there, but I I, I think it's an apt one. I agree. <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, <laughs> but no, that's that'd be my he would be my question. Not so much like just you know, it sounds like they think he can be really good, and and so will we see that next year or not? Yeah. All right, safeties. A lot going on here. Uh, I give the group a B. I think that there were uh, there was actually quite a bit that worked, and then quite a bit that didn't work. Obviously, we've we've alluded to it this entire podcast. Some of the coverage, but some of it's not on them, but some of it was. I mean, I, I think I think it's fair to say you 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 could have projected Josh Metellus to take a take a next step this year, where I think. 
um, in in a few ways he might have taken a, taken steps back or maybe just didn't take step forward. I don't, I don't know, but he was second team All Big Ten last year. He was seen as one of the better safeties in the Big Ten. He did not look that part very often or quite as much this season. I think Brad Hawkins was pretty solid. I think that's you could say that was a that was a hit. Um, I know. I know it might not feel that way because he didn't he didn't play the last three games if I'm not mistaken, or no he did he play against Alabama? Oh boy, I don't even remember. Didn't uh, feel like I, I heard his name much. Yeah, because I know I know he was dressed and everything. I just I, I think I got wrapped up in all the other going ons during the game, um, and now it's been almost a month. So anyway, you know he missed the Indiana and the Ohio State game. I felt like Dax Hill was was. You could I you could probably put him in both categories just depending on what your expectations were, but I mean he became the first true freshman starter on defense under Jim Harbaugh. He finished with a boatload of tackles. I mean he was he was starting to rack them up toward the end of the season, um, especially for a freshman. I mean I know I know every once in a while someone like a Derek Stingley will be like oh yeah secondary freshman can always be good. Uh, but yeah, Dax Hill ended up with 36 tackles, three pass breakups, a pick, and two fumble recoveries. So, and three tackles for loss. That's pretty good. That's that's filling out the stat sheet for a true freshman. And so, obviously, the the Ohio State and Alabama games, and probably the Penn State. The Penn State game, it's so weird because it really was just four plays out of like 70. And so, I don't know how much I can say. They were a big letdown. It's just the letdowns proved really costly. And Michigan ultimately probably needed to score more than 21 points to think it could win in Happy Valley. So, you know, maybe maybe some of the big play coverage. Uh, I did the story a couple weeks ago. Michigan gave up more big plays than it probably is used to giving up this past season. Ultimately, it was a, it was a B group. I don't, I don't, know that there was there weren't too many star moments but at the same time I don't know if that was I wouldn't say it was a, a disaster at the safety position this season either I mean it was just it was just okay and for us that you know based on the modern day college grading system that that, that gets you probably about a B your thoughts yeah once again I think I'm right there with with you uh, I'm gonna go with a B as well. It more, yeah, much more of a flashes mixed with just inconsistent play. You know, as far as never really being able to put it all the way together. I feel bad for Metallus. I just, I think he was, he's just utilized. Just, I don't know. The guy was just put in a lot of positions where I just don't feel like he had any chance. Uh, and you know, whether that again. Were there still plays that he should have made that he didn't? I would say yes. This is kind of funny seeing him, I think it was the senior bowl, seeing him play corner. Oh, he played corner? Well, he's doing one-on-ones versus KJ Hill. And it's like, what? Like, that's, he's never going to like it. I was going to say, I almost feel like his best move in the NFL would be to move up, eat some cheeseburgers, get up to maybe 20, 20, you know, 15, 20 pounds heavier and play some. 100%. 100%. That's why I almost felt stuff. like Michigan could have done the same thing with him. Well, they did, I don't know if they could have afforded to because they were a little thin at safety. Like, yeah, I think if there was the current depth chart, because Clemson does that, don't they, where they where they get these safety, maybe a, a slightly slower-footed safety than, than what some of their top guys are, and then add some weight and make them Khalid Hudson-type, sure. Jordan Glasgow-type linebackers. It's like what they do with Isaiah Simmons. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, no, I agree. And you're probably right. It's just, you know, I don't know, kind of one of the more unfairly maligned Michigan players I can remember. Because the guy made a lot, did make a lot of really good plays over the years. Uh, but I just felt like, you know, again, keep talking about that Penn State game, but I always go back to that as like, he had no chance. And it's like, come on, man, you can't blame him for, you know, that type of situation. So, uh, but still, inconsistency. Particularly, it appeared in maybe communication 
in coverage. You know, it felt like there were some blown coverages throughout the season. He's kind of supposed to be the captain back there. You know, you wonder you know, if maybe those were some mishaps on his part. But uh, I say a B because, yeah, I mean, they, they still, again, I think until Bama, it was. It was like just spot, spot type inconsistencies as far as coverage and just play period goes. I don't know what the missed ta- what the tackle numbers were as far as like, you know, how many tackles those guys might have missed. Didn't feel like they missed a ton at the safety position. So uh, but I would go with a B. But if I was to go one direction to B plus or B minus, I'd probably lean more back towards a B minus if I was being honest. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I do think the arrow's pointing up here. I, I guess they are changing position coaches, so that's something to keep an eye on, but the recruiting that Chris Partridge left behind. I mean, they have, what, five, four, five-star safety recruits. I mean, that's that's a pretty loaded group. Um, kind of impressive that they were able to continue recruiting even with other high-profile recruit-type players at the position. But Dax Hill, uh, I mean, I think Zordich said it. He said, you know, we asked him, he said, Dax Hill's going to be an All-American here. And then we said, well, when... When do you think you start to see that? And he's like, probably around next March. And this is like in October that he said this. So, um, obviously, high expectations for him. We'll see what happens. But I think we already saw. I mean, he's going to be at the very – his floor is still very high. His ceiling's even higher, but but the floor is pretty high. Brad Hawkins, I think, adds a nice mix of speed. He's he's pretty good against the run, too. I think coverage – awareness and technique maybe is, is the next step for him, but he it's going to be a fast safety group, and I think the arrow's pointing up. Bob Shoup, I know we didn't we, we never did a podcast to really talk about the hires. I think that was that's a pretty good hire. I, I don't know. Obviously, his track record suggests maybe he's here for a year or he won't necessarily be the recruiter that Chris Partridge was, but he's been around a lot of good safeties, and he's been around a lot of good defenses, and um, you know, I'm curious to see how the group looks because I think there's a chance it could be the best position group on Michigan's defense. Uh, so I think the arrow's pointing rather, rather steep up at this at this juncture. Um, it, I know. So it's it's definitely pointing up. At the same time, though, they're in a position where I, I think they're going to be very good at the very top. It'll be interesting to see if any of the true freshmen any of the guys they recruited can step in and be contributors right away. I do think it's one spot where the potential for that is maybe higher than other spots between page uh, Morant Moten, you know, three, four star guys. But think about this though. You got, you have Hill and Hawkins at the top, which is what it looks like, right? Jalen Kelly Powell gone. Uh, German Green, haven't heard anything about him since right. he enrolled. Sammy Faustin did get a little PT early, but really also haven't heard a ton there. Feels like, you know, it's a position where if Hawkins and Hill both continue their progression and stay healthy, that they could be stacked. Or they'd be one of the best safety combos definitely in the conference. But, you know, you get you see an injury there. All of a sudden, you got, you know, Quentin Johnson, who basically had to, was injured all year last year, had to redshirt, and then you get into Faustin, German Green, and then those two freshmen. So uh, it's it is it's potentially a, it's a high, a high end it's a high end position at the top, and the potential going forward is very high because of how they've recruited. But it's also a spot I think maybe a little tenuous. Uh, on the injury, it's a, it's maybe a position they definitely can't afford an injury again, unless one of these, in my opinion, unless one of these true freshmen step up mm-hmm. right away. Because the thing about Quentin Johnson, very very athletic guy, but was just learning how to play defensive back. You know, I think he played a lot of linebacker at St. John's in D.C., and so I'm not sure. You know, I think his injury was like a groin type injury, so I'm not 100% sure on how much he got to practice and how much he's really, I'm sure he's learned from an X's and O's standpoint, but actually ap- applying it on the field. So it's, you know, he's a guy wonder, you wonder, you know, will they, will he be able to take any progression this year? Or will this be like year one for him? You know, mm-hmm. so um, interesting position, but yeah, I mean, 
and then my question is, yeah, is how good can Daxon Hill be? Because I think that's really – he's already one of Michigan's most important players next year, like easily, because I think elite safety play is one of the things that could make Michigan – is what would put Michigan's defense over the top in big games. Because, again, statistically we know they've been what I would call elite from a statistical standpoint under Don Brown. But, yes, it's, it's, it's a spot where maybe it's let him down in a few big games – and I think taking the next step at safety is that one thing that could really put him over the top. And I think with Hawkins and Hill are both very, very athletic, is, is a possibility that that could happen. This I think this is their best chance for that to happen this season. And I think a lot of it will be depend on like you know what kind of step does Hill take. So, yeah, my question actually, I think you kind of inspired it. What's the second string look like? Because you are going to need them at some point in some capacity. Uh, anyway, moving on to special teams, uh, I give this group an A minus. You know, the kicking bat, the kicking woes, I know got a lot of a lot of airtime, and and depending on what you you know how you value or how you evaluate special teams, that that could knock them down further. I mean, they really they had a midseason kicking problem when there was really no reason for them to have a midseason kicking problem. But you know, Quinn Nordine. Came on really strong. I believe he made his final, what, 10 or 11 kicks. Uh, you know, Jake Moody had a good start before he faded. I mean, it was like they just kind of had to pass the baton. Pretty good there. Punt, punting, you know, Will Hart. I He didn't quite have the school record in punting yard, or yards per punt, but he, his net punting was better, and his he was still second in school history in punting yards. And kickoff return, I feel like, was improved. I think Giles Jackson is is really exciting there. I'm curious to see if they keep him there, even as he takes on more of a receiving role. Uh, punt return was kind of uh, average, but they also didn't make too many mistakes. I'm trying to think. Uh, field goal block and kickoff coverage, I think we're adequate a couple few punt blocks too that that bumps them up as well i mean they might have had the best punt blocking group in the in the country a couple of the fake punts they did were really well well um prepared you know they saw something in the defense and they they gave it a try and it worked so um most of it worked i mean i mentioned field goal kicking maybe punt return not taking that next step i do wonder i i always I get Donovan Peoples-Jones is hard not to put out there, but I feel like there are maybe a couple more guys who are more quick-start shifty types who could have could have thrived in that role. I guess we'll see this year. But, um, no, I give the group an A-. Uh, the arrow, I think, is pointing even, just because I don't... It's not like there's some major change coming that's going to obviously guarantee everything gets fixed. So it's probably about the same. Uh, you know, it just kind of depends on depends on the new, on what Jay Harbaugh wants to do in terms of, does he want to put Giles Jackson there? Does he want to put Ronnie Bell in return roles? Or, or will it go to a younger player to give them something uh, to, to work on? Kicking, I, I, I assume it'll be more or less the same. Punting. I don't know if Will Hart does Will Hart coming back? Is that? Do we know that's what the a plan? Question. I would. I would think so, but maybe that's the big off-season question. Sure. You could just expand it across the board. Um, yeah, big off-season question is who, who's doing what? Because <laughs> because yeah. they. I mean, their backups are pretty good. Brad Robbins and Jake Moody are not slouches, and apparently, Steve, I don't know if you can add some context here, but. Michigan picked up a five-star 2020 kicker uh, well, while from we're Indiana. This, it's a PW, yeah, it's a, a preferred walk-on. So. Okay, but like, is he someone oh. they think will can like fight for a job or? I don't know. Right, right off the bat, he's someone they kind of had their eye. It's uh, is that Hassan? Yeah. Yeah. No, he's a guy they've had their eye on for a while. Uh, you know, I think any kicker they that is taken is you know in mind that they could win the job. I mean, and I don't mean that, like, of course they think that about maybe any guy they take necessarily, but especially in special teams, 
a PWO. Right. Because you aren't going to take a kicker every year. Right. And a PWO at kicker is usually like a, like, kind of a legit target. Right. Because, I mean, you could spend a scholarship on a guy at, like, well, like a. I guess they did spend a scholarship on Nordine and Moody. I mean, we know about Nordine, but Moody was a scholarship too. Was he scholarship the whole time, or did he get say, his uh, after? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he's on the commitment list in that class. I think it was 18. I'd have to go back and look, but um, either way, you know, I, not this year, but in the you know, Hassan maybe a guy in the future for sure. I wouldn't. Okay. I would not anticipate them spending a scholarship on a guy now. Okay, so grade arrow pointing up. What worked? What didn't? And then. Big question uh, for you. Grade A minus. I think special teams has been a strength for this team for a while now. I think one of the biggest things about special teams is limiting your mistakes, as we've seen in big games just nationally. You know how special teams, and even in the NFL, so you think about uh, was it Houston, Kansas City? So how Kansas City really got back in that game and ended up blowing them out. Special teams is kind of what got that started. And uh, so limiting your mistakes on special teams, I think, is always pivotal. Peoples-Jones, again, I think Michigan fans were spoiled, I still think, with Peppers uh, at punt return. Not just because he would gain yardage, but again, I always go back to the fact that he would save them 15, 20 yards by being able to run down balls that were kicked across the field from him. I don't know if Michigan has a guy in their roster right now that could, at least a guy they don't want to expend too much on, like a Jackson Hill. Uh, you know, if they have somebody that they want to put back there that can do that again. Uh, Pub block, yeah, you mentioned. Awesome. I mean, Partridge, Jay Harbaugh did a great job in that aspect, you know, with preparing. And, and you know, what they say, Hudson will leave left Michigan as the all-time leader in pump blocks, correct? Is that – I feel like they mentioned that a couple times throughout the Yeah, season. I mean, After it's kind of – it's like an un- unofficial stat. I think Jim right. basically asked them to look make this a stat. And they were like, well, we can't disprove that he leads the, the team. Either way, though, I mean, he's it, even if they'd had the stat, he'd be way up the list either way, right? So I would think as far as, like, modern day uh, football. So, no, special teams. And, and, yeah, I mean, they bring back a lot of guys. You know, as you can talk about, I, I think, between Jackson and Sainer still, I think you have a punt, punt returner, you know. Maybe even this could be a spot. Could be a spot depending. Could be a spot where like a true fret, like an AJ Henning, right, makes an immediate impact. You know, I mean, they weren't afraid to throw Jackson back there to return kicks last year, and with his role increasing in the passing game next year, you, you know, that could be a spot for a guy like Henning to come in and and play right away in, in a semi large role. So, you know, they have the athletes. I think now uh, on special teams across the board, you know, to have some difference makers there. So, big question. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, can Nordine keep keep the consistency going? Mm-hmm. Looks like he kind of looks like he's figured it out. And when he's on, I think he's a guy that's one of the best field goal kickers in the country. But when he's off, he's he's really off. <laughs> so, you know, just depend on if he can kind of build off of what he did last season. Yeah. At the end of last season, you know, yeah. Before, before that, it was kind of a hodgepodge of a little bit of inconsistency there. Hey, if he starts all the way through next season, he's going to end up statistically being the best kicker in Michigan football history, which is kind of partly a product of the times that kicking kicking like passing stats, they're just going to keep getting broken because the game is evolving. But at the same time, I mean, he's already, oh, he is already f- tied for first in 40-yard kicks, tied for first in 50-yard kicks. I think his percentage is second or third in school history. Sorry, these are all stats I looked up like three weeks ago. The record book takes too long to load to to get it today or during this show. But um, yeah, it's uh, that's a good. I mean, it's it's quite the redemption arc that he's on. And so does it does it continue? Because that would be really something impressive. Uh, silence the you know millions of Twitter haters who wanted him to be kicked off the team or to lose a scholarship, or to transfer. So, um, lost his starting job, didn't transfer. Lots lots of interesting stuff to watch there. So anyway, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This was our Michigan football review preview, 2019-20, for the defensive side of the ball. If you missed the offensive side, uh, not hard to find. Wherever you found this, you can probably... 
click a link very close by to find the offensive episode. Uh, but check it all out. Uh, feel free to weigh in. Read all of our stuff. We're going to be doing some more off-season football writing in addition to covering basketball for me and, and recruiting for Steve uh, over at the MichiganInsider.com and Michigan.247sports.com. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.